0: accelerating careers in real estate with nick carman brought to you by mcdonald and company the accelerating careers in real estate podcast is now supported by the urban land institute to find out more about becoming a member please follow the link in the show notes remembering to quote the promo code acre to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership more details at the end of this podcast
1: This evening, I'm sat with Lee Stentford, Director of Development Management for New currently delivering the 40 Leadenhall development in the city of London, also nicknamed Gotham City. Now, I hope Lee's going to explain how he's managed to reinvent himself during this career as he's transitioned from engineer, then project manager, and now development manager. And not just for anyone, he's the Director of Development Management for the world's top five real estate manager, New But before we get into it, Lee, do you want to get us started? Where does chapter one begin? Probably going back,
2: Nick. This best part of thirty years ago now It's a rack in my brains and my uh, and my memory. But I think, as, as you said, I, I started initially as a as a civil engineer. Um, that was my degree, and my uh, first foray into into construction was probably going back into a small small contractor in my local hometown, working in an estimating department. And then through my university career, I was sponsored at university by Hocktief, a German contractor. Uh, spent 15 months with them um, on a on a major roads project in plymouth learning on site engineering and then on from that sort of moving sort of post post graduation uh, working for a small uh, regional contractor down in exeter uh, working on a range of building and uh, civil engineering projects and also a year year in a design office working towards my chartered engineering uh, status so but all of that was generally based locally within within devon on relatively small projects and i think probably what i did crave from my uh, 12 months on a on a relatively major project in devon was that kind of a large project experience it was what was kind of where i where i wanted to see myself going uh, so going back 20 years ago now sort of coming to the end of my official sort of uh, training period I moved again back to work on a major road scheme in a London and that was predominantly to get onto some major project um, work as opposed to some sort of smaller scale project work
1: in those in those early days do you remember what was it about engineering what what got you attracted to uh, to engineering um i
2: I'd, I'd always been interested in building stuff i suppose in terms of uh being outside constructing things planning things designing things um, from a from a young age really uh, my my father worked in construction. And sort of a mechanical plant etc and it kind of got me interested I suppose and I'd always been at school probably maths physics sort of those sort of physical sciences was always kind of a uh, of interest so it probably wasn't until I was probably 16 17 that kind of I, I appreciated what civil engineering was and kind of put sort of two and two together and thought well that sort of lends itself towards what I'm interested in and and uh, sort of my academic skills I
1: suppose so and at that time, in those sort of early few years of your career, you know, where do you th- where do you think that was going to take you? Well, I ho-
2: I'd hoped it'd take me overseas. I think some warm, warm, sunny climes. I remember seeing I remember seeing a uh, adverts possibly, but I think it was maybe an Arab brochure when I was this is before I went to university, and uh, companies called Travis Morgan and sort of those sort of consultants who had a, a big uh, sort of international presence. All always looked exciting and warmer than wet Devon which I think will probably uh, where I've probably saw myself going interestingly but uh, and it got, it's, it's probably spark sparked your imagination sort of those large-scale major bridge projects major tunnel projects big dam projects there uh, part of part of you thinks how the hell do you, how does how does someone go and build that what, what is it is a a is is could, you, could you ever do it so it's kind of a bit, a bit
1: of a dream I think more than anything else that's where I probably saw myself heading and well, then let's let's get back on on that sort of timeline you were talking through. So you've now, you've now spent sort of two or three years that sort have of employed in the the local contracting engineering, but that's not where your career obviously ends. So we we know there's a change a foot coming. Tell us a bit more about sort of what what the motivation was at least for that.
2: I think in terms of where 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 I was coming from, I think well, I was I always thought I wanted to go do design work. Or design-related engineering work, I suppose, where I where I thought I was going going to go. And I, when I first came to London, that's where I, that's what I was employed with. I was, I was employed in temporary works design for a, for a major contractor on a major road scheme. And I think sometimes you don't necessarily see what your own skills are. Other people can see the skills in you that you don't sometimes see yourself. And I actually got promoted into sub agent role on on the project in London. And um, so I was had a wider remit in terms of what I had to do. So managing teams of people, managing engineers, managing contractors, health and safety, delivery, all, all those type of things. So a wider wider scope. So project management to a certain extent, um, although doing it for a contractor rather than a, a consultant. And I always actually remember going to do sit my charter professional review, aiming it, thinking I was going to be a, an engineer and the reviewer said to me i'll tell you what what you should be doing you should be doing project management uh you sort of say so, well they, they saw a skill in me that possibly i didn't know myself and unbeknown to them I'd, at the time i just accepted a um a role with arab to work in their uh, project management uh division as a construction planner so i was kind of heading down a path there towards uh project management uh it just in, in those early stages my career, I, well, although I did probably didn't know what that meant at the time.
1: Well, I was, I was going to ask you in terms of you know, what you thought the differences might, might be. What, you know, for, our, for our listeners, if people we've got, no doubt, sort of people who, have, who are graduating from university with an engineering qualification or, or vice versa, people with project management sort of um, qualifications, just help us a bit understand from your point of view, what are the key differences between those two roles?
2: Uh, I think project management predominantly is about people in my, in my view. Understanding people, listening to people, managing those people, and to to get to get something done, I think engineering is possibly quite a lot. Some engineers very well, very very focused, um, just in the detail of getting solving the technical problem. Quite often, the, the problem is not necessarily the technical issue. You can normally solve those technical issues. It's actually whether it's getting a political buy-in or stakeholder buy into a, a solution, whether it's Funding a solution; those are the things that actually get things done eventually. Once they're resolved, so it's 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 about the people. It's about getting people to buy into the ideas. I think is is driving it and making sure it all pulls together. I think the the, the project management role is a kind of a the linchpin um, of it all. Who gathers gathers all those stakeholders together, gathers gathers all the the key elements of that project and drives it forward. Is a, is what I'd say. It's a lot wider, a lot wider role. Jack of all trades, probably, <laughs>
1: <laughs> or politician.
2: Yeah, or a politician. Yeah, it's politician.
1: It's a good. Uh. Uh, okay, so with the the Arab opportunity, I think sort of comes in so about five years after after you graduated, haven't you? How easy was it then to to land that role with uh, with Arab and having having come there from a more of a regional sort of contracting background?
2: When I was at university, I had an in- interview with Arab, and I didn't get the role. I didn't get a role with Arab at the time. I remember going to the, for the interview and the interview was in a, in a project office for uh, the, a mass transit scheme in Bangkok. And it just, I suppose it goes back to that point where you're looking at those overseas projects, those exciting, warmer climbs. And the, it really sparked an interest to in me. And I always said to myself, if I get the opportunity to work for Arapah, I'm going to take it because it just, it just appealed to me. And obviously, I've, been, I've worked on smaller projects, but I'd had a bit of major project experience in my year out, and also for the last eighteen months or so, being in London working on a major project. And uh, our, I think Arab predominantly are known as their sort of technical engineering sort of expertise, I suppose globally. Um, but they do have a project management division, and I saw an advert, which is an odd thing to see these days—an advert in a magazine for a, a role with them, working as a construction planner—and bearing in mind I was working for a contractor. I'd done a bit of planning myself. I thought I'd, I'd give it a go and apply for it. And I uh, went for a couple of interviews and eventually got got the offer. So I had to be uh, good to my word. And I think I was getting to the stage and I was sort of looking at my long-term prospects where I wanted to take it and whether you're going down a consultancy role or a a contracting role. And I thought to myself, I probably want to try a bit of consulting role. It felt a bit uh, sort of more comfortable, <laughs> maybe a, uh, a little less rough and ready around the around the around the sides at the time, and uh, something that probably appealed to me at that at that time in my life, and uh, so I decided to take so the role with Arup, and I worked in their uh, project management division in London, and uh, I suppose that's at the time is that's kind of where I, where I started
1: getting into more sort of consultancy project management, if you call it. So, against at that time, you've made you're making this transition now from sort of contracting engineer into consultancy project manager. What lessons were you learning? What mistakes did you uh, did you make in those early days?
2: As a contractor, I suppose you, it's a it's a little less political. I suppose as working for a consultant, and uh, I've probably learned quite a few. You kind of know you got you're dealing with a lot of different different people when you're as a consultant, and I think that's probably the the, the biggest lesson I had to I had to learn. And kind of when to when to keep quiet, when to say things, what to say, who to say it to. I remember, remember a few occasions, or sort of putting your foot in it, or saying the wrong thing to the wrong person, or yeah. someone misinterpreting it what you what you're trying to say. So I think I'm trying to certainly a few mistakes along the way there. I think uh, Nick, in terms of uh, putting my foot in it, but you kind of you kind of learn as, as as you go. Um,
1: you mean sort of having to learn your p's and q's from being a hairy ass builder? Is that does that what we mean? Uh, a little bit like that, yeah.
2: <laughs> sometimes it's a, when you're building something, it's, it is, it's, it's factually that's, that's what's got, I've got to do to get it done. But I suppose in a wider, a wider audience with different views, different interests, different needs, you need you need to temper that message sometimes, and and rain it rain it back a bit, or uh, maybe say it in private to someone that you, you, you don't necessarily want to
1: air in air in public. So. Okay, well, let's well, let's talk about some of the projects then, because you know, I think you mentioned that that's definitely one of the uh, the drivers this time about, about that that interest in working in larger projects. I mean, that's what's driven then this you know, the, sort of this Devon boy into into the big city. Was that the case? Definitely, I think. I think I always
2: always remember sitting when I was working in Devon. I wasn't unhappy there. Obviously, I grew up I grew up there. And all my family are down there. I wasn't unhappy there, but there was something that was probably driving me to say, "Yeah, I want to go in a." I want to go and work on these big projects and uh to be fair you get those projects occasionally in in devon but not very often uh, and i think it, it was kind of a conscious decision that i made that okay i've got to go for it is get out of your comfort zone here go and put yourself out there i moved to london with a contractor i decided to stay in london with arab and and to get that experience and Luckily, I've, I've, been, I've been able to work for those organisations who get those, get those type of projects. And that's probably one of the, certainly one of the drivers when, when, when looking to move, I think, would say, uh, Nick, is actually, who do you go and work for? What are the, what's the type of projects they're going to put you on
1: is, is, a, is, a, is a key, I would say, to developing yourself. Okay, right. So, so, Lee, tell us a bit more about the projects you were dealing with then uh, with Arab.
2: Well, when I first joined Arup, uh, I was initially, as I said, I was doing a lot of construction planning, using my uh, planning skills, but now on a consultancy uh, basis. So working on sort of uh, engineering-based projects, things like London Underground, Upgrade at King's Cross, uh, those those type of projects we were getting involved with. But Arup had their fingers in quite a lot of different pies, um, using their wider engineering expertise, but also their sort of management consultant expertise i suppose and uh, looking to get into that field so i spent a lot of time seconded out on major programs of work uh, working for companies like network rail and so i spent 16 months at network rail seconded into their hq this is before actually this is actually before network rail was even in existence rail track had gone into administration were working as a in a sort of a management consultant role uh, with what was going to be Network Rail before it came into fruition. And then I spent 16 months at Network Rail reshaping or helping to reshape that business. So working with the chief exec's office uh, to reshape that business. So I spent 16 months there. I then went on to work for GKN Aerospace, building aeroplane wings for uh, the replacement for the Hercules aircraft of all things. Uh, seconded into them for uh, 10 months or so Uh, again sort of management consultancy sort of project management if you call it that and I spent another 15 months at the department of health uh, reshaping their what they call arms length bodies so people things like uh, NHS blood and transplant those those type of businesses that which kind of part of the department of health so completely different than my training my background to a certain extent my interest but I think so it's more theoretical project management and management consultancy than probably hands-on capital project delivery but I wouldn't say it was a bad thing because I think you do learn a lot by sometimes stepping out that comfort zone seeing things from a different perspective understanding how different businesses operate sort of the, the decisions businesses have to take so I think it certainly broadened my experience and my knowledge. And probably has helped shape some of my thinking in in, in, la- in latter years, I suppose, to uh, how I, how I think, how I operate. So it wasn't wasn't necessarily a uh, a bad thing, but I have probably got to the end of that period where I've been seconded for three quarters of my time with the with the business, and the reason for joining that business to work was work on sort of those high pro- high profile engineering projects, which I wasn't necessarily working on anymore. And uh, it was kind of then at that point sort of a decision time, do I do I stick with this? Or do I do do I go back to some sort of more hands-on capital project delivery it was what was, kind of, was kind of my thinking at the time. So after about after about five years working for Arab.
1: I want to ask you a quick question about about that being the second, D. because you know, in in my seats, you know, I get I get an awful lot of people who are in a consultancy environment who are considering you know, what what next. And and many of them believe that the key for them to do that is they need to get themselves out of the office. They need to get themselves sat in a client's office in an on a secondment situation. Now you did that three times, Arup. Were there any sort of unintended consequences? Were there any sort of downsides to doing that?
2: I think what well, I think as a as a downside, I think the key the key downside, as I see it, depends on how long you do it for. Um, there's always that risk that you go native, and I've a go and work for that business, which is always uh, working as a consultant. That's always a always a dilemma, I think, seconding people in that people could go and go native and go and work for them directly. Um, but I think there's also another downside. You kind of, if you were looking to develop in that business, or say Arab in my instance, you, if you were trying to develop within that business, it's very difficult because the people who are running that business don't necessarily see what you're doing day to day. So I was getting... My, my my appraisals were actually under, undertaken by my people I was working for in those in the other businesses not one. so you don't really get the exposure within the business you're working at you get the exposure in someone else's business and sometimes you're always always seen as a an external set of hands or a pair of hands I suppose you don't really you're not seen as one of them so you don't you you kind of you kind of stuck between the two places and not you may not necessarily get the the development
1: you're looking for. So it's a quick timestamp then. I think we're about sort of 2005, 2006, haven't we? Um, and yeah. there's, there's once more, There's a there's a change coming, um, and I think you you uh, you sort of suggested in terms of why that might be about that about that drive to return back to to capital projects. But you maybe didn't join. I suppose let's say you know having come from sort of Arab in terms of their reputation and their size. It wasn't a business that had a lot of similarities, I think, to, to Arab that you ended up choosing. Tell us a bit more about who, uh, who you ended up joining, a bit more about as to why it was. So I think, so as you say, Nick, I think at
2: the time I was I had was a bit of a dilemma. What what do I want to do here? Um, and I, as you said, I was probably craving my main interest was capital projects and physical delivery of things that you could actually see built or manufactured or made, so you could actually get some sense of achievement or suppose. and. At the time, Arup, Arup gave me the opportunity to go to Australia to continue sort of doing the management consultancy piece, and I was kind of in two minds. And someone approached me and said, "How about going and talk?" I think it's probably a recruitment consultant at the time said, "How about going and talk to this business?" and said, Second Second London Wall." Mm-hmm. Um, Those recruiters
1: have got a lot to be sorry for.
2: I do, yeah. But, but likewise, they got a lot to, lots of to the, uh, have helped me along the way quite a few times. So, uh, uh, I think. Uh, I said okay well I've never heard of them to be fair never heard of Apple and the wall uh, partly because Sackle and the wall never used to publish them so they're sort of self-promoting but you know they didn't have to do a lot of uh, branding and sort of corporate marketing etc and this is obviously long a long time probably before the internet took off as big as it was is now to be fair and it's, it, well I did, did do a bit of search on their website and I thought well yeah they've got some interesting projects there that they've they seem to work on so I went to went to have a chat with the uh, managing director so we had, we had two managing directors we had martin walker and we had mike blinker so there's two joint managing directors so i'd have a chat with martin and it was probably the most off the wall conversation i've ever had in my life and not how i'd probably expect a um interview to go i think he swore at me in the interview Not at, but I kind of swore and i thought i've never been to an interview when someone's sworn sworn in the interview which i found quite quite interesting and um So I actually went away, didn't take didn't take the offer there and then, but had two or three interviews with him over probably the course of a month, and uh, got to the end of it. And I thought it's a bit of a risk here. I like I like I like them. I like what they do. It's going to be sounds completely different than what I'm doing at the moment, but they do work on some decent projects. But kind of the sort of head and heart, I suppose, was sort of playing. Playing, playing on my mind what, what, what I was going to do. And I got to the sort of the third interview. I went in I, and I decided, I probably decided because Arab had offered me the ch- chance to go to Australia. And I thought, well, I'll stay with Arab and i sort of stick with a tried and tested position at Arab. And I thought, I'm not going to tell him over the phone, I'll go and tell him face to face. So I went to see Martin again. And I spent probably a half an hour speaking with him. And I told him at the end, right, i decided not to go. I've decided not to come. I'll, I'll stay where I am. He kind of, uh, he didn't break down, but he kind of uh, pleaded pleaded for me, please reconsider. So I went, I went away for the weekend and I uh, said to my wife, I said, well, I've got a choice here. I can go, go to Australia with Arif or I can go and work for this outfit called Settle London Wall. And uh decided to go and work for Settle London Wall. And uh, the
1: rest, to a certain extent, is history. And that was 14, What do you 15. think he said? What you, you talked about sort of at the very start, this about sort of you know the the career, about the sunshine, these mega projects, and there it was potentially sort of being offered up by Arup. What did Martin Walker say? To, you know, it was going to get you down to I, sh- I assume we were down at the poultry at that time, and London weather for this sort of smaller, a much smaller, smaller outfit with a uh, with a relatively sort of under the radar reputation.
2: Yeah, I think uh, it wasn't even in poultry. Actually, I think we were we were actually down at Ten Stratton Street, and the office we had there was a uh, virtually in the basement. It was the darkest, dingiest place you could probably ever go to.
1: Um, so, a million miles away from this Australian dream.
2: Yeah, it's probably a bit like a battery farm to a certain extent. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I think it was, was Martin's personality. He, he quite had yeah, quite a compelling personality, and he had a very good. He's very persuasive, I suppose, to a certain extent, in an in an odd way. He had a good way of convincing you to do stuff without overpressurizing you, if you if you know what I mean. Um, he had a good way of getting a lot of lot out of people, and I think it was just him. He was just he was so different. I suppose there's a risk you. I, I thought I was willing to take. I was relatively young at the time. I didn't have any children. I didn't have a huge, great mortgage hanging over my head. Sort of thing. So I think so. I I could have took new, I took the opportunity of all. Well, if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. I'll take, I'll take the chance on it and uh, decided to go for it. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think you can, I can pinpoint anything, Nick, in terms of actually why, why I wanted to go and do that. But it, it was uh, just something in his personality, I think. And I, and I got on with him. I got on with him well.
1: Let's jump forward to the six months. How, how was those first few months with, a, um, uh, with Martin and the team? Complete bloody
2: nightmare, I'd say. <laughs> It was it was a very traditional. I wouldn't say? Conservative, but quite conservative in their approach. They had a very uh, uh, something you'd, you'd expect in a corporate world, I suppose, of uh, processes and procedures and all that type of stuff that you you expect when you go into, into business. But it was like hell on wheels. I think was a, be a it was it was a complete. I'd never never experienced anything like it. It was completely. I wouldn't say chaotic. But it was, there was no structure. It was kind of, you, had to, you just had to do what you had to do. It was, uh, you were, bearing in mind, you, I was used to working on one project uh, at one time, giving that pure focus to one client. This is completely different. You were working across multiple projects as part of a team. So you're working across multiple projects with multiple clients, very demanding, high pressure um, environment. And it was like, it was hell. And uh, um, quite a few times I thought to myself, I'm not going to make this. I'm not going to get out the other side of it through the probation period. And uh, I don't know what happened. Eventually, something clicks in your mind. You get get an understanding of uh, what you've got to do, when you've got to do it, who you've got to do it for. And I did come out the other side and kind of stronger for it, I suppose. So you uh, hadn't hadn't killed me, Close, close to kill me, but hadn't quite killed me. and it's a, uh, you sort of, you're, you're better for it and you understand what you've got to do. And it was, it was proper, it was proper project management. It was delivering stuff, getting a job done, but in a totally different way. So that's kind of the first six months. And uh, but I managed to spend another 14 years there. So it wasn't a, couldn't have been that bad.
1: I mentioned to you before, that, uh, we'd like to do a bit of, a bit of background Check in before before we sort of come into this this booth. And I sp- I spoke to one of your early clients at this time, and during and the start that's sort the of second in the war career. And I asked them what were their first impressions of, uh, of Lee, and they remembered very vividly. They got a call from Mike blinko so one of the joint MDs at Second in the War, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and he explained to this client, he said, "I've got someone I think you will quite like," and. I asked him then, you know, what what he th- what he thought that meant and what what was his first impression. And he said uh, Lee was was very calm, considered, he wasn't quiet, but clearly a very keen listener. And, and the bit I, the bit I liked about him the most was he always gave the impression where he had it in his stride, he wasn't going to be flustered. Now you've mentioned pressure, you've mentioned sort of the you know this the sort of the the atmosphere, it's just a second on a wall. Were you always that calm on the inside?
2: No. I think it's, it's a just hide like, it
1: well it's
2: worth well, so it's a bit like the uh it's a bit of like the analogy of the uh, the swan isn't it it's like a it's serene on, serene on the surface but pedaling furiously underneath the water would be a um good analogy and i think a lot of it is like a, lot of, a lot of clients particularly when you're working in consultancy and it's and it's high pressure real, real estate delivering major projects is, is high pressure they expect someone who's who's calm under fire. Um, doesn't mean you're not thinking furiously, what the hell am I gonna do here? But sometimes you've got to draw you gotta take that time, listen to what they're saying, take it away and then sort of um, work it out in your own in your own way. How how you're gonna deal with it. Possibly over a cup of coffee somewhere outside the room and work it through. And I think a part of that comes from experience, Nick.
1: Well, let's let's talk about sort of a bit a bit more about sort of Second and Wall and this and this sort of early early days. So we, it's really clear now you've you've left those engineering days behind. You've now started within uh, within sort of Arup as project manager, but now firmly within sort of capital projects. You know, what lessons do you think you were learning the most at this time? Well, the
2: thing is that when I first start at Second and the Wall is probably how naive you are in terms of all the, particularly real estate, the vast amount of different facets of it that you need to get your head around so whether it's party wall awards i would never done anything like that when i first started second london war never even heard of a party wall award despite coming from an engineering background never never heard of it so you kind of learn from that rights of light never heard anything about that it's sort of a a getting getting your head around these things contract law you're you're working in some major major building contracts understanding how contracts work and I've done a fair bit of theoretical stuff at university and, uh, things and, but I never, never hands on when you're, when you're, when you're trying to craft multi-million pound contracts and make sure you don't get shafted by the contractor or, or, or do, do your client a disservice. You've got to learn a lot.
1: And how do you fit all that in? You, to, to anyone in here in this in this sort of time in their career, you know that moving from, from let's say, whatever their their qualification was, their earlier career into into their first few years of project management, how how on earth do you find time to take all this on? I think a lot of it
2: is actually you you got to learn you kind of learn on the job. You got you kind of got to show that or appear that you know what you're talking about without putting your foot in it. But a lot of it is listening, and obviously you've got a lot of experts around you whether they're quantity surveyors whether they're architects whether they're engineers whether they're lawyers party war surveyors right and you can learn a lot from them just by listening to what they say and and and, and, and getting the right people on board and learn and just listening and learning and obviously you, you should you should be doing your own reading you should be doing your own research on things and uh, I think it depends on your personality I've, I've, I've always liked learning about other things and sort of developing my my skill set i suppose and understanding of things and so you got to do a fair bit of reading yourself and and, and learning but i'd say there's no there's no there's sort of no uh, comparison to doing getting it done on the job and uh i sort of anecdotally from uh, my time with martin walker i remember when i first started at second london wall i said right I need, I need to um learn some stuff about building contracts and jct contracts and uh he said to me, who's your, who's your, what job are you on? And I, said, I reeled it off. He said, well, who's your QS? And uh, told him who it was. And he goes, well, why don't you just go bring them up and tell them to write everything they know about building contracts on a bit of paper and send it to you, because that's, that's, that's your learning. And uh, to a certain extent, he was right. And uh, so you get, you've got the experts around you, but I think you've got to take that information in and be able to absorb that information in and sort of build that bank of knowledge. And without doing it on the job, you can you can read as many books as you want on it, but you've got to do it under fire, under pressure, in, in the real world, I'd say Nick.
1: Well now I think now's a, a good time to, for me to ask because looking back, you you spent fifteen years at Second in the Wall. And you know, we talked about it being sort of the that smaller outfit when you when you joined. But there's there's no doubt Second Second in the Wall under sort of Mike Blinker Mark Walker had had a reputation and it's on one side, that was, it was an outstanding reputation for its delivery, the quality of those projects, and punching well above its weight. But on the other side, I think just sort of just reading between the lines of some things you're saying, it also had, had a, um, a reputation for being you know, a tough place to work. Um, there was a lot of a lot of pressure. Did you feel that? Did you did you know you were working at a, in, a, in an outfit that, that had that reputation, or or did you know it? it did a it, sort of there were differences between sort of other outfits.
2: Um, I think you, you, you hear it in the in the press. You hear it from I don't know, speaking to someone in the pub, that you know, type of thing. That yeah, you know, it's difficult to work there. But I suppose once you're in, when you're in there, it's like when you're in, in the camp. It's never quite so bad. I think I'll be honest, I never knew part probably possibly while I, I joined them. I didn't necessarily know enough people in the business to understand their reputation. And maybe I would have thought twice if I blissfully ignorant. Yeah, and I probably I probably may, may, have, may have thought twice about there, uh, about joining them if I if I knew how difficult it was. Um, but I think at the time I say uh, we, we we were quite a small outfit when we joined. There's there's a lot of camaraderie there, a good 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 core of guys there. Uh, I was working with um, same similar sort of age. We we're all some of, there's, a, there's a good core of us around the same sort of age, so we we're all in it together. Getting a flat together, understand it. So you all kind of appreciate what we were doing, and um, but it it was, I suppose, it's a very attritional environment you're working in. It's a very, it was a very tough environment, but at the same time, good fun. Is that there is a, it's like being in the trenches together. I suppose it's a, it was it was a, it was exciting time. We were working on some brilliant projects and having 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 some fun doing it. And uh, but likewise, you you play you. You work hard, you play hard, and it's a it, it was that type of approach. To, uh, you may not ever see that again in in businesses um, going forward, but I learned I learned a hell of a lot, particularly in those first few years um, of being given a the responsibility. They expected a lot from you, but likewise, they 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 supported you in it as well. You weren't berated in front of an open forum type of thing. You may have got berated back in the office, but in front of people you were you were in it together and um but there, yeah quite a few people fell by the wayside i suppose um coming into it and uh i saw a, a number of chats with a number of my younger colleagues as they as they came on board and they were probably the same same experience they'd never experienced anything like it i suppose um in their career to date and you kind of had to mentor them through it because actually sometimes you can't see what you're going to get out of it, particularly when you're younger, I think some of them can't don't necessarily appreciate the projects you're working on, your expo- the exposure you're getting, and what how that stands you in good stead going forward for the rest rest of your career.
1: Well, let's let's talk about then some of the the latter years then at uh, sort of second and warm, um, because we you know, we've we've talked on it a couple of times now. You you spent 15 years there. And uh, I th- I think that's a, a credit then to to not only sort of you, but also second and wall in terms of the ability then to keep sort of reinventing and sort of uh, extending people's careers by giving them more and more challenges. Looking back on that time, what what do you think was some of the largest or the most difficult sort of hurdles you faced?
2: I think probably uh, we had two teams running uh, second in wall. We had obviously the Martins team and, and Mike's team. And although we weren't, separate they were kind of individual teams and uh, I think during I think probably our first challenge I faced probably was in 2008-2009 at the financial crash and uh, we kind of had to amalgamate uh, the, the business basically Mark, Martin kind of stepped away a bit from what we were doing day to day and we had to go for work for Mike and uh, Mike and Martin had two completely opposite um, approaches to, to work and the way they, way they work the way they manage their, their staff Equally, equally as, as impressive, but completely different. Uh, I suppose at, at that time, moving across and having to work uh, under Mike after, after having working for Martin was a difficult period that I had there. And a number, a number of other my co- colleagues had the same thing. Um, but I suppose you adapt and then you kind of look at the way you worked before. You look at the way that Mike now wanted us to work and the, the roles we had to play. And it was a difficult time This a financial um crash had put a lot of pressure on a lot of jobs a lot of projects and we had to change our approach and what and what we were involved in and uh that that was certainly a difficult difficult period in there but having said that i did adapt and mike was very good to me he rewards you with some uh, very good projects to go and work on going forward. So. After that period, I worked on some 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 major schemes, including things like Principal Place and Clarges for British Land, Seventy Saint Mary for uh, for Henderson or TH Real Estate as as they were then. So that was a pretty tough time, Nick. I think, probably out of all my time, all my time at uh, Second
1: Okay, Lee. So we know about sort of the the tenure you've had with second and war sort of 14 15 years you throughout that that time then you've progressed very very quickly on some really important jobs but you're now a principal or a, or a partner within within that new organisation and no doubt you you could probably easily sort of forecast you could have spent another 15 years there but you didn't for the benefit of our listeners you went to uh, to go and work for Nuveen, who were previously TIAA and, and Henderson, um, and the business you'd worked with for 12 or 13 years as a, as a consultant. What was it about now? You know, why why now that meant this was an opportunity you just could not say no to?
2: I think probably, uh, like I say, you got, I, could, I could have spent comfortably uh, another 15 years at Abington Young, settling on the wall, uh, doing, doing the same thing. But it's like all things. I, I'm always... Uh, looking for the next challenge, I suppose, whether that's within Second under or the business I'm working within. Or professionally, do you do you need to do you need to be looking at something else? And I think there's a, there's a natural progressing, certainly from the Second Under War days, to go to go for a client side role. I think because of the way you've worked closely with clients um before. And I'd always said to myself, if I was if I'm if I'm gonna go somewhere, I'll go client side. And I think the the thing is, it's, it's probably going to the client side at the right time in your career. Going too early, you're probably not going to get the exposure you need. And I'd been at Second London Wall for 14 years. I was comfortable doing what I was doing. I was just probably looking for a next, the next challenge, I suppose. I need to do something slightly different. And obviously, working for a consultant is great. A high-level high, high position in that consultant is great. But I think what what drives you from a client side is actually having more ownership of that of those projects, being more responsible for those projects. Because as a consultant, you're an advisor to a certain extent. When you go client side, the buck stops with you. The decision is your decision. You may be advised by consultants and uh, support team around them, but ultimately the decision is yours. And. Uh, I think that's what, what the challenge was. It's now now is a time, right, well, I need to be making decisions now. I need to be taking that next step. And the role, I I, saw, I always saw the role at client-side slightly different than what I'd be doing as a consultant. I wanted that more, a greater level of responsibility. I wanted a greater level of ownership of those decisions. So that was a, that was a drive behind it. And I think over, over the years, I'd always thought of that. And... Opportunities that come along, maybe not always the right opportunities, and which I'd, I'd considered, and I'd been off, made, be made offers, and uh, actually, I'd spoken it through with um, Mike Blinko a few times on a couple of occasions. Some roles that have been offered, and he actually convinced me why they weren't good for me at the time, which is very good of Mike, and uh, I sort of uh, appreciate his his, um, his mentoring and his feedback on that because he's he had a very uh, he's very astute in his understanding, but it probably came to a stage now where probably Nuveen came along at the right time for me. I was probably looking for a next, the next challenge. I was looking for the the right role to go to and I wouldn't necessarily jump to the wrong outfit because I think that can that can be extremely damaging but I'd known Nuveen or Henderson or TH Real Estate in their previous guises for a long time. I knew how they worked. I knew their approach. I knew quite a few of the people there in the, in the business so I knew a little bit about them and the projects they worked on and this I was approached specifically for this one major project so I think it it ticked the box from that perspective as well it was a big major scheme in the city it's nearly a it's the best part of a million square foot net It's, it's huge um, these projects don't come along very often so I kind of it ticked the box of actually this is a major scheme here it's probably one of the biggest well probably one of the biggest I'll ever do in my career and it It was working client side. So it kind of ticked both boxes or those that sort of aspiration to work on those major projects was there was a big driver. But also it gave me the opportunity to broaden my experience, take on a different responsibility Um, and ownership of those ownership of that project would be the, the key driver, I think.
1: I think this is this is getting really interesting because having sort of spent, um, you've already made sort of one transition at the earlier part of your career. We talked about the engineering to project management, and now sort of having spent, sort of, we're about sort of the. Presumably, twenty-five years or more within within your career, it would have been really, really simple, then, wouldn't it, Just to have, to have ridden that um, that learning curve within within project management? But you didn't. You did you did take the risk in order to to leave leave that behind and then make make another not only different employer, but but into a into a different job than you've been asked to do before. How's it worked out? You're you're sort of you've been doing this now for for nine months. How is it? How's yeah. it compare to the let's say sort of the uh, the vision versus the reality?
2: Well, I'll probably go back. Probably, if I'd known there was going to be a global pandemic when I resigned in <laughs> December, I may, I may have thought differently about it. But I, I, I kind of was in it up to my neck to a certain extent when I um, was I resigned. It was, it, I wasn't probably anticipating 2020 to be quite the year yeah. it turned out to be. But oh,
1: tell me about it, I would, have, I would have bought a lot more antibacterial and toilet paper before as well. I
2: know, I know. I probably about more well, invested in Zoom or Teams. Uh, <laughs>
1: Some shares possibly
2: would be a would be a good thing. But um yeah, so it's, it's it's different. I think um to a certain extent, I think what I was doing a little bit at Second London and some of the roles we were doing was sort of bordering on development management anyway. So we kind of I was doing some of it. It certainly helped. It certainly helped that I knew some of the some of the guys that were working in the team already, uh, through my sort of history with New So that helped a little bit in terms of a transition. But I think it's probably has been a difficult difficult year because you've had to try to embed yourself and exert your authority on a team that's been going for a long time on this project the the actual project itself got planning permission back in i think 2013 2014 so there's a long history with that project a well-established team on it and trying to exert authority remotely whilst you're working at home over teams or zoom or and not having that face-to-face has, has been difficult and has, has been a challenge but i think overall it's been it's been good it's tested my bravery a bit in in, in certain, certain stages when you were particularly at the early stages when we were just when i thought we were first joining just at the start of the, the first lockdown basically uh and also the the client the client the investor on this scheme wasn't fully committed um when i joined so it's been quite it was quite a Hairy ride, I suppose, for first for the first few months getting that commitment in. But we rolled the sleeves up, get you get stuck in, uh, give the give the investor confidence that it's going to go ahead, and uh, we managed to uh, keep the project going. So it's been a it's been a, a tough ride, I would say, uh, Nick. But it's been another challenge that's you, we've had to stand up to, and you do you you live and learn, don't you? you live and learn
1: by those uh, those experiences. I bet. I bet. Just the the covid and sort of virtual to one side you know what was what's been the hardest lesson to learn yeah, you know, from the transition of project management to development management
2: i think my well, wife i've got to learn and i'm still learning it a bit more i suppose as a, being a project manager and a settle under war project manager you're very used to being hands-on um, and doing it yourself and i think one one of the things i'm learning at the moment is you've got to step back a bit you're you're the development manager you're the Effectively, the client on, the, on on the project, and um, you're employing other people to do that for you. And probably what uh, I've got to learn and get better at is taking that step back, taking the advice, and being guided by that advice rather than kind of just getting on and doing it yourself. Uh, is a is a is a key is a key lesson uh, from it. Um, and likewise, there's sort of the, there's, a, there's a wider development management piece. I need to uh, be be developing myself in terms of the, the wider piece on on leasing, on on letting strategies, on agreements for lease, those type of things, which you you were touching on as a project manager, but you weren't getting heavily involved in it, um, developing that knowledge in what what is a design strategy for this building? How are people going to occupy it? How are people going to use it? What do people want? Making those making those investment decisions of why you should be investing in that piece of infrastructure or that bit of work. And that's not taking, it's take, it'll just take some time to get around that and get, get the exposure to it.
1: Well, uh, we're coming to the end of our, our session, man. I'm really, really grateful for you, for your time. and I'm really enjoying it. I normally end with sort of, you know, what's, what's next. And, you know, we mentioned, you know, your, your, your nine months into, into the role now with, uh, with V um, so I, I wouldn't tease you with you know, sort of saying, you know, where's where's your career going after after this? But but I am I am keen to see you know your thoughts on your own development. Let's say over the next sort of five years, what what and what's what's that going to mean for you?
2: I think ultimately I, I'm, I'm quite a, I still got a lot of lot of drive and uh, Jeff, my boss probably won't like it very much. But ultimately, I'd like to take on take on his role, I suppose, and uh, have his uh, sort of a kudos in the in the industry and in terms of his level of detail, his level of knowledge, in terms of how to make development work at this scale. Um, so I'm learning a lot from Jeff, uh, but ultimately I'd like to probably end up doing what he's doing uh, when he eventually uh, hangs up the boots, I suppose, would be my long-term aspiration. But saying that, is that, sometimes you opportunities come along that you weren't expecting or weren't envisaging, and uh, quite often, I don't know 20 25 years ago someone said to me this is this is what you'll be doing for a living I probably didn't even know it existed as a role so I think sometimes it's about you can set you can set a plan but I think it's also good to be able to divert from that plan if you see if you see some uh, interest or something something catches your catches your eye that really appeals I think it's always got to be at the right level and uh, Nick don't get me wrong I'm not going to be taking a downward step so to speak but you it's always I think it's just difficult one to put, put, put a pin in it and I think I think COVID seen it as a, as a prime example the world, the world can change rapidly um, what people want and what you, what you need to
1: do. Uh, well yeah I uh, definitely agree with that it's given yeah you know, I'm sure there's lots of people listening to this who are, who are reflecting on, on just that at this moment in time. Um, Wally, thank you very much for your for your time. I've I've really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, you know, I think it's sort of our listeners no doubt can really sort of feel and have benefited from from this sort of curve that you've you've developed on and and in many ways sort of the you know, that sort of let's say that that hunger for for learning and, and development obviously hasn't hasn't diminished at all, mate. So thank you again for joining us.
2: Thank you, Nick. Thanks for the time.
1: The Urban
0: Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world, with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.